Welcome to Executives at the Edge, a podcast brought to you by MEF. I'm your host, Pascal Venezes. Join me as we explore thought-provoking perspectives from the leaders and change makers who are propelling enterprise digital transformation forward. I'm really so excited to have Alistair Faulkner, the CEO and co-founder of Darwinium. And this is an exciting episode. We're going to be talking about fraud prevention and cybersecurity coming together. And what a great idea. I was moving to the SASE clouds now to adding more security functions, especially fraud prevention and detection. So Alistair, welcome to Executives at the Edge. And for our audience, if you can just give us a little bit of background of yourself and your company, that would be really ideal. Oh, yeah, fantastic. So Darwinium unifies your account security, fraud prevention, abuse, and user experience for organizations that are B2C focused. That is typically banks, e-commerce merchants, uh, media companies that have to deal day to day with protecting customers, revenue, and reputation. The reason for Darwinium is that uh, today, these functions, security, account security, site security, fraud prevention and abuse are typically siloed within an organization with different stacks and different areas of responsibility. And it's a little bit like that problem with the elephant, you know, the blind man and the elephant, depending on which part of the trunk, i.e. the customer, or your, your, your touch and access and see, will really depend on how that customer gets treated or what threats get, th- get through. Um, I co-founded Darwinium with folks, key folks out of a company called Threat Metrics, which I was a co-founder of and ran products for. Um, and essentially what Threat Metrics is or does, it's a digital identity company that helps protect, again, uh, large websites and, and organizations against online fraud. Um, that company was acquired by LexisNexis, where I went on to run Global Fraud and Identity. And prior to that, I co-founded a networking company that prioritized applications over over networks, over packet switch networks. And so I'm probably one of the very few people who've gone and crossed that trajectory from understanding packet switch networks and how that can apply and evolve to applications and then uh, up to understanding consumers and uh, newest threats from AI and scams. Well, that is really fascinating. So in your opinion, why is moving fraud prevention processes to the network perimeter critical, um, and especially for successful detection and remediation? Yeah, so today it's, it's also good for your listeners to appreciate when we're talking about the edge, we're focused primarily on what's called your content delivery network infrastructure so that that part of the organization's infrastructure, which is looking to accelerate and protect, accelerate and protect applications versus you know, secure access service edge, which is primarily kind of ent- employee or workforce orientated. But there's many of the same principles apply. The challenge today for this CDN, so let's have a look at understand. So primarily these content delivery networks were designed for, for two things primarily. One was to improve user experience by moving code and data closer to consumers. So you can reduce latency. So instead of having to download a video all the way from a different country, you could get access to that video, um, you know, in a data center that's closest to you. And the second uh, piece that these um, this infrastructure was designed for was as a shield against 
uh, common attacks that, that happen in the age of the internet. That is denial of service attacks, so trying to overwhelm uh, an organization's servers. Um, injection attacks, where someone's trying to um, get access to your database and exfiltrate data. And then the other one is as a core use case is bot detection. So trying to detect when there's something automated, maybe it's trying to scrape your website, steal content, or um, get access to customers' accounts. So credential stuffing, uh, as it's been called, is probably one of the largest pernicious problems that still remains unsolved for many organizations. Now, the challenge is um, these content delivery networks are evolving. So they're, you know, from what they were originally designed for to where they need to be now, which was um, storing content to actually being more general purpose compute, which is um, able to execute more sophisticated logic close to, closer to a customer. So one of the big differences and why Darwinium and why now is that the CDN infrastructure has evolved to be more general compute. So unlike when my first company had a networking technology company, you know, we had to do kernel hacking if, uh, you know, we needed to change the behavior of how we treated a user or their network, uh, their network packets. There's been a tech, there's been a couple of innovations. One of them being, you know, Rust as a, as a programming language, but the other is this construct of what's called a web worker. And a web worker is the way for your audience to understand that is it's essentially just like the security model on the browsers in your, the tabs in your browser, where you can have a banking, be accessing your banking, uh, online banking right next to your social media account without either of those being able to share information. So basically it's a, it's a new um, native, you know, near native speed code that can run anywhere in your browser on your server and but crucially on the edge which means you can run untrusted code in a safe way which means you can dynamically update logic and and you know in in real time and every request is able to be um fashioned and treated with different different logic so that was the real insight at darwinium is to say let's use this general purpose compute let's make it dynamic um, let's make it be able to understand true customers and behaviors, not just their IP address and, you know, what network they're coming from. And, you know, let's do that in a way that gives the business control. So the biggest issue when you look at fraud prevention and detection strategies, whether it's on the security side looking for compromise or whether it's on fraud looking for things like uh, fraudulent um, uh, transactions, is that the pace of innovation is constrained by your engineering Everything's back end. If you need to engineer a new detection, what does that mean? Well, it typically means you might need to have a new data source, a new API that you might want to collect data on. It might mean that you're running a new model, a new machine learning model that needs to be trained and tested before it can get you know deployed to production. It means that you might have new features. These are things that might describe, for example, that consumer's behavior. Hey, there are more than two standard deviations from any transactions that they've ever done before. That, that kind of thing. That's typically what's called a detect. A feature detection and this when you're under an attack and as new attacks are evolving like ai um, an organization is just too constrained they can't move fast enough and that that's a big issue and that's another area that the edge or running this you know fraud prevention integrated fraud prevention account security and abuse on the edge means you can move much faster if you're able to deploy to the perimeter versus having to do back-end engineering or opening up application code to change logic it's the perfect place to to do this fraud prevention and do this machine learning because the other thing that you get is that the rest of the organization benefits if you're able to inject for example 
not only, hey, we think this is a good consumer or we think this is, you know, maybe one that's being scammed or this is someone who's got unauthorized access to an account. Any machine learning model scores, attributes, features can then be injected into a request that can then get consumed and benefit every single application downstream. It can be consumed in your SIM, it can go into your SOAR, it can be consumed into a data lake. So it's, and, and that normalization might sound like a small thing, but the biggest constraint to many organizations to how do you decision um, precisely with a scalpel instead of a sledgehammer when you're trying to approve a customer transaction is that the fact that you have all these different data silos that don't connect and don't give you a full view picture of you know what this consumer is or what's what this user is that's currently accessing your website. So let me just rephrase what you're saying. So content delivery networks were really designed for optimizing video delivery mainly or web delivery. And you mm -hmm. repurpose that at the edge uh, to do fraud prevention detection or detection prevention, right? Um, and exactly. In some ways. And so, number one, do you operate your own edge nodes globally, or is this an application that has to load into an IAS infrastructure from the hyperscalers? Uh, yeah, so uh, that's a good question. So, there are every major CDN, there are differences in their application implementation. It lets you run web workers. So, for example, Cloudflare and CloudFront that have AWS has, you know, CloudFront is their version and Cloudflare. Um, enables developers to write application code using what's called these web workers yeah. to run. So essentially, um, that's the the other beauty of it is that Darwinium is a trust nothing architecture in the sense that our code runs within that customer's infrastructure. They have full ownership over it, visibility over it, um, and uh, have full control over how it gets updated. So Darwinium, using this web worker ar architecture, any censoring that we're doing, i.e., profiling that device, trying to identify it if they've, you know, deleted cookies, you know, or are they running an emulator? Is this a fake mobile? It's actually, you know, some emulator running somewhere in a, in a mobile farm in a Southeast Asian country. Those kinds of detections are, are being served from that customer's infrastructure directly back to that organization, which has speed, um, efficacy, uh, advantages, and uh, least not, and not the least is that, you know, security organizations can scan the code understand you know content to make sure that there's no injections that's happened on that code so it's it's um it's it's a game changer in terms of how you prevent uh, uh, threats and how you dynamically um, you know uh, ensure that customer has a very smooth experience so uh, again so you're talking a zero trust architecture you said trust no one right zero trust yeah I think you've heard of secure access service edge right sassy yes this is yep. like a remote browser isolation idea, but not for browsers. It's basically, it's all running at the edge in a, in, in basically a, an edge kind of application specifically designed for fraud uh, detection and, and protection. And what you're saying yeah. is we can think of this as an add-on to probably a, probably a SASE offering, right? Is that what you're saying? Oh, absolutely. I mean, absolutely. I mean, so... There are organizations um, that use, for example, Cloudflare to both protect their customer infrastructure and their employees. Right. Right. And if you're in that situation, then the same, both of them use web workers, this technology called web workers, which allow, enable you to run untrusted third-party apps on your infrastructure. And so the same concepts apply. I mean, the biggest issues that you, you know, 
what, what we have found is that a lot of the successful attacks against you know, SASE or other uh, infrastructure is the same problem that banks have had to deal with, which is often it's not just a third-party criminal. It's some you know, user that's been compromised, either their device or social engineering. Right is the big issue, right? And so no, no amount of network access control or fine grain access control is going to help you in that situation. You know, someone's been compromised, they're an insider threat. And so if, if you have uh, in that kind of sassy environment, the ability not just to say, hey, we're going to authenticate that user at the front door, you know, at, and, you know, only give them fine grain access to specific applications, but how much more powerful would it be if that capability actually understood how that application was being used, what that user was touching, how were they behaving, um, what were the differences in their patterns of behavior versus versus others. And so one of the cool things we do is turn behavior into a form of identification. And so a lot of those, and the other thing that um, security can learn from fraud is that fraud has always had to deal with untrusted devices, untrusted users. Right, which is at the essence of SASE, you know, if you think about it, right, is to say, how do we operate in an environment where we can't 100% secure what devices someone is using? You know, we had to give up that battle when everyone started bringing their iPhones or your workforce or, you know, the IT support system that is accessing the third party. It's an impossible battle. So that's what they can learn. And then um, fraud prevention has a lot to learn from security. You know, you've just got literally call centers set up, you know, with this kind of infrastructure where where people are, are getting and flipping accounts all the time. Well, that intelligence would be really useful now when it's time to do a transaction. They're now trying to send money off to a mule account somewhere. The fact that there was this challenge upstream is vital to know in you know your payment system. And as I say that, you might go, well, that's obvious. But today you'll find that's just not happening. That intelligence is lost. Also, security has a uh, much more of a focus on the kill chain, understanding, hey, someone's trying to do reconnaissance on our website. Um, uh, you know, someone's trying to look at our login page to see kind of what signals are being detected. If you're able to correlate that kind of um, surveillance activity with you know, when someone is actually exploiting those exploits, you can be obviously far more targeted and preventative in how you how you prevent fraud. So. You know, we, we say security and fraud, fraud are two birds of a feather that don't often flock together, but, you know, they can unlock tremendous business value when they speak the same language and have the tools that are able to have continuous visibility of that user and also be able to provide real-time preventative controls. You know, this is a very interesting use case because what you're saying is zero trust is not good enough because identity can be compromised. And so that doesn't get, and what you're saying is, Network behavioral analytics has been around for a long time. So using a behavioral analytics model that is not network-based specifically, but it is kind of looking at patterns and how they are normal to abnormal patterns and IP flows, right? And, right? and basically from that, you're now looking at what from that specific probably IP address because you can't get to the user actual credentials uh, because it's all encrypted. Uh, unless you're a man in the middle, you're looking at these abnormal behavioral things. And then from that, you're able to de detect this idea of fraud. Now, again, do you actually mm -hmm. go into the packets because they're all encrypted? How do you actually know? It's it's a network of IP flows yeah. versus, and yeah. it could be anything. Oh, this flow is abnormal. Like, okay. And how do you yeah. know how do you tie it, it to a user? How do you tie it 
to a transaction, you would have to be yeah. looking at the packets, right? Well, excellent, excellent question. So um, one of the things with great power comes great responsibility, right? So if you find a way to insert yourself into a network flow, whether, you know, we're typically operating at the, the web server, HTTP, HTTPS uh, level, um, you know, you obviously get access to a lot of traffic, right? The data that's flowing through that. And so how it, how it works with Darwinium is actually we do, and it's actually a, a massive advantage is we do identification, uh, extraction, um, encryption, masking, etc. at the actual edge. So essentially we're looking at, let's say, you know, someone's posting a log form. Based on what the organization is looking for, they can extract the username, email, whatever that might be. Now that data is encrypted, but isn't sent to Darwinian. We send, we're basically building metadata. Think of it things like hashes or other metadata about this user, about this transaction, about this packet, you know, um, and, and that data is actually encrypted and stored at the customer's site. So, when I say we're a trust nothing organization, it's not just trust, don't trust the user or their, or their device, but we're, we're trust nothing into in Darwinian because, you know, we, you know, one of the biggest sources of compromise for companies is actually third parties, you know, that they use. So it's an advantage and actually it's solved by using the edge to identify, extract this data. It means actually an organization is far more secure because what happens is this data goes downstream. If you want to collect it in a repository, you want to be able to make sure that there's access control to the folks, you know, you might, the security folks might be able to see one aspect of that customer and their transactions fraud gets, you know, a different view. Maybe your anti-money laundering gets a different view. So that's actually one of the features of Darwinium. But to your first point about, Hey, it's not just about identity is you've hit the nail on the head is that fraud and security prevention is about intent detection. It's intent detection. And, um, you know, we've gone beyond devices and identities and behavior. The, the, that triumvirate together gives you a better picture and aperture of what is the intent of this user. You know, now I understand using Cloudflare's infrastructure because they own the DNS 1.1.1.1, right? So from that, you basically can encrypt, de-encrypt because you're man in the middle. So now you can see everything. Did I get that right? Yeah, but the distinction is that we're not a man in the middle in that. So uh, one of the big logic uh, breaks and one of the big advantages that Darwinian uh, recognized and saw is that how does this typically work? If you look at um, like a, a bot detection company, you know, a standalone, there are a number of them out there. And typically how they work is your CDN routes a certain proportion or all the traffic through another additional what is a you know more classic, not man in the middle, but essentially network in the middle. So you're going to a third party piece of infrastructure ah, okay. and then you bounce back to your server, right? So the challenge with that is, you know, how do you solve with this privacy and security problem? And then, you know, that now you've introduced another critical point of failure, right? Um, and that's a, that's, a, that's, a, that's a big challenge, right? If you're running, if this infrastructure is running on another third party cloud, it can also introduce latency. So the difference between that concept, which is like running a reverse proxy on your customer traffic, um, is that Darwinian does not do that. We actually run on your existing infrastructure. 
we're not introducing another critical point of failure. If, you know, these web workers fail, you know, we fail open. So, you know, the, the challenge when you introduce another choke point on your network traffic, as you well know, is you have to be confident that that thing, this additional, uh, you know, middleware or, or whatever it might, middle box or however you might describe it, is also able to scale if you're under attack by denial of service, you know, also has the same level of reliability, also doesn't get attacked and compromised or have insider threats. So Darwinium solves that because the customer, the Darwinium code is owned by the, the customer, the customer effectively, there's different ways we can deploy. It can be as easy as press a button in Cloudflare or CloudFront, for example, and you're up and running live, you know, straight away. Just you know, press a button, give us your API keys. But most mature organizations use a DevSecOps process. They use Terraform, you know, infrastructure as code. Uh, you know, they pull, pull the Darwinium code that then runs on their infrastructure. They have full ability to inspect it. And that is running within their infrastructure, not getting routed, you know, to a third party. And so it's far more secure. It gives a single plane of glass for the security team to control, one throat to choke. They have ownership, you know, of that existing CDN relationship. So there are many benefits. And so, yeah, there's, thank you for bringing that up because it's a big difference what we've had to build at Darwinium in order um, to address this next level of, of, of intent based threats. Yeah, you know, Alistair, this is really great. And, you know, I could spend hours talking, unfortunately, <laughs> with the, uh, the time limit right here. So I, I'm really fascinated. It's really an amazing concept and topic that we've always think of SASE and security functions to be cybersecurity related. But now you're adding in another kind of function that's more, more related to fraud. Uh, very, very yeah. cool idea. And that is now cloud native, you know, which is really yeah. awesome. You've made your code cloud native. And it runs totally. on top of Cloudflare or in potential other kinds of SASE infrastructures as as a function. Um, and yeah. I think it's a brilliant idea. And it's all, you know, all tied together. And I think it's part of the industry maturing into moving cybersecurity functions out of the sites into the cloud. And that's the scrubbing center that everything has to go through. So again, Alistair. Thank you so much for your time. What an awesome conversation. I really enjoyed it. And I wish you and your company really, really uh, phenomenal success. And what a great idea. So thank you. I appreciate it. Pleasure being here. Thanks, Pascal. Thanks for joining us for Executives at the Edge. Don't miss an episode. Subscribe today. Share online a review. Find all our episodes on your favorite podcast platform and at left.net.